You are listening to the North Peace Roundtable podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. Well, I am all by myself this morning. All by myself. Uh, thank you for tuning in. This is Andrew, and usually with me is Corland and Cameron, but uh, stuff came up. And Corlin had to go and take his car in for some work or something. And he couldn't record till later, but then Cameron had to go to work. So uh, here I am all by myself. Uh, but this is episode 116. And I thought um, we're going to kind of press pause on the topic that we were going to talk about, about um, racial reconciliation. And what does the what does the Bible say about, you know, how do we do that well? And I thought I would just answer a few questions that I've had come to me uh, in the last couple of weeks and some really interesting questions that I thought, well, if one person is wrestling with this, I bet there's others. And and so I, I've got three questions that someone asked and I'm just going to kind of rattle through them and then uh, we'll call it a day. So uh, question number one, um, someone asked me, um, that they knew of a church, uh, friends of theirs, where the church said, um, we refuse to call our pastor pastor uh, because we feel like it puts him on a pedestal too much or, you know, it makes him uh, think that, um, you know, he's better than us or something like that. So uh, this person asked me, like, is that a biblical thing? Are we supposed to call our pastors pastor or can we just call them, you know, Andrew or Tom or Bill or, or whatever their names are? Is it uh, a biblical thing that we have to call them by their, you know, pastor title? So a uh, really good question. Uh, and so I kind of chatted uh, with this person, but I thought it would be interesting because I think there is... <clears throat> um some misconceptions about the whole like uh, role of pastor and um, yeah, the whole like respect thing. Um, on one hand, I've, I've heard it. People say that like um, they'll quote, there's two places in the Old Testament, First Chronicles 16 and Psalm 105, that my paraphrase, essentially it says, touch not the Lord's anointed, like don't, don't touch the the, the anointed one. And I actually had someone years ago come to me and they had disagreed with um, something that I had said in a sermon. I'm just going to take a little coffee break here. Um, they, had disagree they had disagreed with something I said in a sermon, but they said, um, I really struggled coming to talk to you and tell you because the Bible says that we're not supposed to touch the Lord's anointed. And, you know, Andrew, you're the anointed one at North Peace, and I, I'm not allowed to criticize your sermons. And I was like, oh, boy, like time out. Um, that is not true at all. And to take like an Old Testament verse about uh, Israel not critiquing and not putting to death the prophets that God sent them and saying, well, now no one is allowed to ever criticize uh, pastors I think that's such a dangerous thing, but I've I've actually heard pastors say that. You know, Benny Hinn famously, I've I've watched videos where he says like, "Touch not the Lord's anointed." If any of you critique me or you know judge me, then you're gonna get sick and God's gonna punish you. Which I'm like, that is not. That's such a terrible use of scripture. 
So I think there is a, a, a lot of churches that do put their pastor up on a pedestal. Um, and you know, he's kind of like the untouchable one. I remember reading a story of a church in the States where the coloring sheets for Sunday school were pictures of the pastor. And essentially the coloring sheet said like, we will support the leader's vision. I'm like, that's kind of cultish. I don't, I don't think that's a good thing, but some churches do elevate the pastor that he is like the holy untouchable one. And I've gotten comments like that every now and then like, Hey, Andrew, I want you to pray for me because like, you're so close to God. And I'm, and I've always like, no, you are, you, your prayers, uh, mean the same to God as mine do. Like I'm not special. I'm not glow in the dark or anything like that. So, uh, on one hand, we don't put our pastors on a pedestal. Um, and yet the Bible talks about one verse that came to mind was first Timothy five, um, uh, talks about elders. Now, um, biblically speaking, uh, elders and pastors that, that title is used interchangeably in the Bible. Um, sometimes, uh, they're called elders. Sometimes they're called shepherds, but when you read and dig in, uh, it's essentially the same role. It's who's shepherding the church. Um, and it should be elders and pastors, and it's the same job title. Uh, it's just the apostles use them interchangeably. Sometimes they'll say like, Hey, let the elders who are shepherding you. And sometimes they'll say, Hey, the shepherds are doing that. And sometimes they'll say, Oh, pastors. But really there's one kind of, uh, ruling office in the church and it's, it's elders. Um, and then first Timothy five seventeen says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So um, the Bible talks about, yeah, churches. Uh, if you have elders that are ruling well and serving and shepherding you, um, you should uh, consider them worthy of honor, respect them, um, listen to them. The Bible talks about obey those who are shepherding you, like, cause they care about your soul. So it doesn't talk about, uh, therefore you must address them as, you know, pastor, whatever, or elder so-and-so, but it talks about, yeah, like, uh, give honor and respect to those people who are serving in the church and who are shepherding you. Well, that's really the only, uh, instructions that's given to the church, obey your elders, give them honor, take care of them. Uh, but we're never told what we're supposed to address them by. So on one hand, uh, I understand the idea of like, we don't want to elevate our pastors and elders and, and put them on a pedestal. But on the other hand, it doesn't really bother me when people are like, you know, Hey, pastor Andrew. Um, I know sometimes I've seen where parents, you know, uh, will tell their kids like, you know, Oh, call him pastor Andrew. Um, I prefer if you would just call me Andrew because that's my name, but it, it doesn't bother me uh, one way or the other. Um, uh, sometimes I joke with my kids um, that they must call me Reverend E.B., <laughs> but I'm like clearly kidding. Um, or sometimes I'll joke with like my kids' friends that, oh, hey, Andrew, or hey, Mr. E.B. I'm like, actually, it's Reverend. Can you call me Pastor E.B. or Father E.B.? 
but it's all like clearly joking. I'm, I'm not serious. So I think biblically, it's one of those, uh, what people are comfortable with. For some people, they want to call me Pastor Andrew because it's a term of respect and I get it and that's fine. I totally respect that. And some people uh, call me Andrew and that's fine. I'm not offended that like, hey, I earned the title Pastor. I, I don't think like that. Um, a guy at the church just calls me EB. He goes, hey, what's up, EB? And that, I think that's great. Um, so yeah, uh, bottom line, I'm like, if you... Uh, have a pastor or elder at your church, um, show them respect and honor, especially if they're shepherding and teaching and preaching well. But I don't think we have to uh, elevate them to this, like, you are the Lord's anointed holy one and no one may ever disagree with you. I think that's super unhealthy. So there is a middle ground of showing honor and respect and not going overboard, I guess. So great question. All right, um, we are going to uh, jump to the next question. So a few weeks ago, um, someone reached out and asked me, um, I won't get into like obviously the personal details, but essentially the question was like, how do I discern God's will in my life, right? It was, um, I got some ideas of what I want to do and maybe go do some you know, missions work or maybe go over here. And I just, I'm having a hard time figuring out, okay, God, what, what exactly do you want me to do? And, um, I get that question lots. How do you figure out what, um, what God wants to do in your life? How do you discern or figure out his will for your life? Whether it's like, who am I going to marry? Where are we going to live? Um, what job am I going to have? Like what career, what, all those kind of things. Is there like a magic formula for figuring out God's will for my life? So a um, couple of thoughts. I think sometimes we can, uh, yes, it's necessary to go. I want to, I just want to obey God in my life and I want to figure out what he wants for me. But sometimes I think we can maybe over I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound like blasphemous where we like overemphasize that. And then we end up not doing anything because we're like, well, I haven't heard the voice from heaven to tell me which house I'm supposed to buy. So I think sometimes it's like God wants us to just make a decision. Um, and bottom line in whatever decision I make, am I going to honor God and grow in my faith and tell people about Jesus, whether I live in, for say John or Dawson, like I can, I can honor God. And so sometimes I think it's like, we're, I don't know, nervous about making a decision. So unless the skies part and the voice of God tells me, this is where I want you to live. It's almost like we're kind of gun shy to make any kinds of decisions. So I'm reminded in first Thessalonians chapter four, um, it tells us what the will of God in our lives is. It says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. Um, for God has called us, not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So bottom line, we go, okay, over, like overarching our entire life, what is the will of God for my life? It's my sanctification. It's that I abstain from sin that I pursue holiness. Now, 
can I do that whether I become an engineer or uh, a veterinarian? Totally. I can totally do that. Either or. Either job. I can say I'm pursuing the will of God because I want to be sanctified. I want to be holy. I want to abstain from sin. So I think there's an element where sometimes we just need to um, make decisions and say, regardless of what the decision is, um, I can still know that I'm in the will of God because I want to be sanctified and I want to be holy. So I think there's an element of that where it's like sometimes you just need to um, make the decision and not say, well, I don't know, it's not 100% clear and I got to wait some more and I got if you get what I'm saying. Now, on the other hand, there are times, I think, where it's it's good to actually wait and say, okay, Lord, um, I need help in making this decision. Um, um, so, for instance, uh, when we moved to Fort St. John, we were living in the Lower Mainland and, um, yeah, was talking to the church and... Um, kind of trying to discern, is this a good fit for our family? And, and when we flew up to candidate, I remember my wife and I said, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. If, um, if we're supposed to move here, both of us have to want to move here and we have to like fall in love with the town and the people. So notice it wasn't like, you know, I got to hear an audible voice from God. Yes or no. And it was just tangible things like, if I want to move here and my wife doesn't want to move here, then that's not going to be a good thing. So we're going to take that as like, we shouldn't move here. So halfway through the week of us candidating, both of us said, you know, I think we could really love it here and love the people, love the town. And we both have this sense of peace about it. Um, but because it was such a huge move, right? We're moving halfway across the province and we're moving away from my family and my wife's family. And it's a huge undertaking to say, yeah, we're going to come and lead a church and be the lead pastor couple and all that kind of stuff. I remember when the church was voting, my wife and I said to each other, you know what, God, uh, one last little like fleece, you know, if you know the story of Gideon, um, if you really want us to move to Fort St. John, uh, please let the, the vote be, uh, 95% or higher as a yes for them to like vote on us as the, as the pastor. So, uh, I got the call from the church and they said, hey, we voted and um, we want to call you to come be the lead pastor. And I said, awesome. Can I ask what was the vote percentage? And they said uh, it was a 98% yes. So we said, okay, Lord, we're going to take that as a sign from you as like one last confirmation that we're supposed to move. Now, you know, if, uh, if they called and said, hey, we voted yes, it was 80%, I, I don't think we would have come. We would have said, okay, Lord, I think that's that's going to be a sign to us that uh, it's not meant to be. So I think there's times, right, where you can, it's not testing God, it's just saying, God, um, I just need help in figuring out what to do. But I think sometimes we we use that maybe as an excuse because we're just too nervous to make any kind of decision. And well, I haven't heard from God yet. I haven't heard from God yet. I haven't heard. And I, I know people that then end up not doing anything because it's like, well, uh, I didn't have my burning bush moment like Moses, so I can't do anything. So I think in some cases it's appropriate to just wait on the Lord for a little bit and say, okay, God, I need something, you know, a, a confirmation from someone else. 
a word of encouragement from someone about this decision, I think that's totally fine. But then other times too, I think it's like, it's okay to say, well, I know what the will of God is ultimately for my life. It's to be sanctified. So whether um, I make this decision or that decision, I can still know that I'm in the will of God because I want to be holy and I want to be like Jesus. So hopefully that makes sense. Like to not let fear of making a decision kind of hinder you a little bit, but also not making every decision without going to God first in prayer. So it's totally, I don't think there's a, a one size fits all uh, answer for that. I think it's scenario by scenario going, okay, Lord, this is a big decision. Do I need to wait on this and wait to have a hundred percent confirmation from you? And sometimes it's Lord, I'm just going to move ahead with this and trust that I'm still living in uh, your will for my life. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, I've noticed that it's hard to drink coffee on a podcast where you're the only one talking because there's no like no break. Um, third question that I had from someone a few weeks ago was, okay, how do you study the Bible without it being boring or without you going, yeah, I've read this story a hundred times, which is like a really, really good question. Um, um, yeah, how do you do that? Right, especially if you're someone who's grown up in the church where I've heard these stories literally hundreds of times um, and I've read the same thing a lot. How do you then still study the Bible and uh, apply it to your life without saying, yeah, I mean, I know this story. I get it. I know I know the point of it. So really good question. And it's interesting. I was doing some study uh, on some stats about Bible reading and Christians. And it's interesting because the stat is um, 50% of Christian adults read their Bible only twice a year. So think about that. Half of people who say, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian, they literally only read the Bible, read the Bible for, on their own twi- two times a year. And the stat, I think it was like less than 10% of, of people say that they read their Bible or at least once every day. So one out of 10 Christians reads their Bible every day, which, I mean, that's kind of terrifying. Like we believe that the Bible is the authority for our lives. And yet many of us um, crack it open twice a year, which is crazy. So how do you read the Bible where it actually makes sense and... Um, uh, isn't boring, right? Um, so a couple of thoughts. I think sometimes it's good to um, change the translation of the Bible that you're reading. So, so for instance, um, if for years you have done your um, personal Bible study in the English Standard Version, the ESV, maybe uh, buy a different translation and do your personal study in the NIV or the NLT, the the New Living Translation, or the New International Version, or the New American Standard, or the New King James, because those translations are all fantastic, but they're translated differently depending on um, uh, reading level, comprehension level, depending on how they translated. Is it a word-for-word translation or a phrase-by-phrase translation? I've noticed that sometimes if I am really stuck on a passage... um, you know, in the ESV, I'll read it in the New Living to just to kind of go, okay, interesting. That's 
that makes a lot, that helps me make sense of this. So sometimes in order for it to kind of, and I hate saying this, but kind of feel new and fresh is to get a different perspective on it. Now, there's certain translations, obviously, that you shouldn't read because they're just awful translations. Like the Passion Translation is no good. It completely changes the what the Bible actually says. Um, but there's a lot of really good different translations out there that I would encourage uh, anyone to read. I uh, The New International Reader's Version, the NIRV, is written at a grade five reading comprehension level. So sometimes adults who come and they're like, listen, um, I'm terrible at reading for whatever reason. Uh, you know, I dropped out of high school or I'm just not good at reading. I'll recommend, hey, read the NIRV because it's written at a comprehension level of a grade five person. So it'll be a lot easier for you to understand. So one, that's one uh, maybe tip I would give you. Um, also, there's lots of amazing technology that exists that, it is designed to help you read the Bible. Um, so there's an app called Read Scripture. Uh, just how it sounds, Read Scripture. And basically, it's a, re it's a Bible reading plan through the Bible. But what they'll do is they'll have different videos kind of sprinkled throughout that help explain what you're reading. So for instance, if you're like, okay, in my devotions... Um, I am in the book of Acts. So I'm going to read Acts. And uh, in this reading plan, they'll have a, descri a description video that's, you know, six or seven minutes long, basically saying, what is the book of Acts about? And it breaks down the whole book of Acts, explains why the author wrote it, what's it doing, what is it there for? And then you go into um, reading it. I, I have found that super helpful and then sometimes if there's like a theme that comes up in a passage, they'll have a video about that. Okay, so this passage is talking a lot about the kingdom of God. And then there'll be a video. Well, what is the kingdom of God? What does the Bible mean when it talks about that? So if you're like a visual learner, um, super helpful app, uh, the Read Scripture app. Um, I think that's a huge tool that you can use. Um, there's also a, a computer software Um, called Logos, L-O-G-O-S. And there's a free version. Again, you can download on your phone or iPad or computer or whatever. And it's basically like a Bible study tool where um, you can uh, type in the passage that you are um, reading and it'll give you some free commentaries on that. If you want to like learn some Greek and stuff, they'll tell you Greek words. I have found that super useful. There's a paid version that's a lot more in-depth. You can buy Logos Bible software. Um, but the free version is good too. Um, some people who uh, are more like, I got to have like a paper copy of things, buy a commentary. Um, there are a lot of great commentaries. And let's say that I'm going to um, study the book of John for my my personal quiet time, uh, read a chapter of John and then read the commentary section on that chapter. And a lot of times that's super helpful where you go, oh man, I never, I never saw that. Or this person who's an expert in Greek understands the original languages and then just kind of take notes while you um, read the commentary. Um, I have tons of commentaries or even if you want to know, okay, what is a good solid commentary. Um, there's a great website, which sounds like a joke when I tell people, but it's called best 
commentaries.com. So like best as in B-E-S-T, commentaries.com. Um, and you can just click on any book of the Bible. So let's say I'm going to study Titus. You would click on Titus. And then they have pure kind of scholar-reviewed um, commentaries. And they'll say, okay, for the book of Titus, here is the top three commentaries that you can buy for this book of the Bible. And it's I. anytime we're starting a new sermon series uh, on a book of the Bible, I go to bestcommentaries.com and I buy the top three or four commentaries on that book of the Bible. Uh, and it's been a really helpful tool. So buy a commentary if you want to... Um, get serious about studying the Bible. Um, journaling helps for a lot of people um, where you can, okay, um, there's different methods, right? I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna write out the passage that I'm studying. I'm gonna write down observations. I'm gonna write down points of application and I'm gonna write down, you know, prayers that come out of that. There's lots of different ways uh, that journaling can help people uh, remember things and things kind of stick in your brain. So get, buy a journal or, come to the church and I'll give you a journal and, and then, um, journal during your, uh, quiet time with Jesus. So, um, those are a few ideas to help study the Bible. Um, uh, yeah. So hopefully that's, that's helpful or gives you some maybe things to try in your own personal Bible study time. So I think that's going to be it for episode 116. Just a few questions, uh, that people had as always, please, um, Send us your questions. You can email me at andrew at npnbchurch.com or you can message me or if you have my phone number, you can text or call me uh, and we will we would love to answer any kind of questions you have. And uh, hopefully next week, we will be back to our normal episodes with Corland and Cameron as well. But hopefully this has been helpful and interesting and we will talk to you next week.